Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Liberty and the Law, the podcast series that examines the critical elements of a strong legal defense in criminal cases. Join respected attorney James Dore for this lively discussion on the rights of criminal defendants and the important role defense attorneys play in our legal system. Hi, everybody. Jim Mitchell back with you. Um, always, always look forward to our discussions on liberty and the law. And um, frequently when we talk to Attorney James Dore, James will share with us information about the things he does, the work he does to protect his clients and to offer a sound defense. But as we've learned in the past, and we'll hear again today a little bit, sometimes um, an admission of guilt to some degree might be the right answer. And we're going to talk about guilty pleas and then some headlines about uh, cases involving those. So we'll wind our way through it. First of all, uh, Jim Dore, good afternoon, and really glad that we get to talk about this one today. Hey, thanks, Jim. It's great to be back on again. Good afternoon, and uh, it's a fun topic. Let's let's uh, get into it. Well, let's yeah. There's some some as always. We like to talk about some of the headlines, but I'm going to put those off for the moment. Let's kind of backtrack because we haven't covered this in a while. Um, I agree. Talk about the headline. We don't understand or haven't covered what goes into that as far as the, the fundamentals. So I agree, Jim. Yeah, yeah. So we 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 kind of title this guilty pleas in in Illinois circuit courts, but a guilty plea. We, are there certain parameters and um, things that have to take place before a defendant can can offer up uh, a guilty plea of some sort? Right. Well, as you can imagine, there's a lot of cases that go through the criminal justice system that are resolved by way of a guilty plea. So there's certainly a checklist and, and fundamental rights that need to be protected, and the judge is going to, you know, has to make sure that the proceedings are fair. So when you think about it this way, Jim, you know, a criminal defendant has you know, two choices at the very start of a case. Do I plead guilty or not guilty, right? If it's a not mm-hmm. guilty plea, then you're looking at this decision of do I go to a jury trial or a bench trial? But it's going to be resolved by a trial some way, right? Mm-hmm. Anything else is going to be a guilty plea. And a guilty plea can be either done um, through some sort of an agreement with the prosecutor's office, right, a plea agreement, uh, or it could be a blind plea where the judge would, would uh, solely decide um, what punishment to impose upon that plea of guilty. So there's no agreement ahead of time with the prosecutor, and nobody knows, either you know, the defense attorney or the defendant doesn't know what the judge is going to do. Even the prosecutor, with the experience they have in the room, they don't know exactly what the judge is going to do. They know likelihoods, but we don't know exactly. Mm-hmm. So the plea agreements are very important because it gives the defense attorney prosecutors time to look at the cases, look at all the facts there, right? Determine, you know, from a defendant standpoint, do we, if we don't have a shot of beating this thing at a, at a trial, right? We're looking at minimizing the damage, right? I want to lessen the impact of the criminal justice system, the fact they have, the impact they have upon my client. So I'm going to negotiate the best deal I can. So the guilty pleas and negotiations for the guilty plea with prosecutors, it's, it's a large part of, of um, how these cases are settled before trial. Yeah, and I, I know that there's a you know a, a vast majority of cases, as you just said, that get settled before they get to trial. Um, settlements in different cases can mean different things, but when you're agreeing to plead guilty to some charge, I assume, and you can correct us here, um, that you do that when, as you said, perhaps your case isn't that strong, and it's just a matter of reducing the overall set of charges to, to get something that, as a uh, defense attorney, you find palatable. 
Well, that ideally, yes. We're trying to get the best outcome we can for our client. So um, that would be a, a, the key there is just getting the best I can, yes. And are there certain types of cases, certain times or places, um, certain types of defendants even in which um, using this approach is, is going to make the most sense from your experience? Um, well, I, it, it's not necessarily a type of case, but it, it's certainly um, an approach to dealing with the criminal justice system. The prosecutor has prosecutorial discretion, which we've talked about on other pro- podcasts, and they have, mm-hmm. which means, among other things, charging discretion. So, one of the things you would you would seek, um, like say for example, you have a client with a with a second DUI. If I can get that prosecutor to amend that to a different charge, we can avoid a lot of the, the nasty repercussions, such as revocation of driving privileges and other things that come along with a guilty, uh, with a, the finding of guilt to the DUI charge. So, yeah, guilty pleas can contemplate a change in charge, and a, and a judge is going to make sure that the you know, as part of that, you know, what parameters exist for any of the guilty plea that you asked me, Jim, the judge is going to want to make sure the defendant understands the charge. Even if it's been amended, you have a right to hear the charge. You have a right to, to know the maximum and minimum sentences for that charge. So, and then the judge will let you know all the rights that you have. So if you decide not to have a trial, the judge is still going to read the, the defendant all his trial rights, all the rights, you know, to reign silent, to, to testify, make the prosecutors prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, you know, all, all those w- will be protected by the judge in determining whether or not that guilty plea has been entered knowingly and voluntarily. All right, so we've, we've kind of set the stage. We talked a lot about guilty pleas, but we want to talk about something that happens after that. Um, and we sort of saw some headlines and had some discussion here, but are, are there con- times in which someone can actually withdraw that guilty plea after the fact? Right. Upon, and again, one of those legal parameters that exists for the guilty plea, when a judge advises rights, judge will always say, and you have a right to um, file a motion to vacate or withdraw your guilty plea, and you have to file that motion within 30 days. So if something comes up, and let's just say a change in mind, change in circumstances, something, right, um, that's a hard deadline of 30 days through that motion um, the motion to vacate, the motion to withdraw that guilty plea has to be filed within 30 days. And is that something you see frequently? It's, I tell you, it's not necessarily a defense strategy to enter pleas and then try to vacate them later. But usually what I'll, what I'll come in is somebody will call me after the fact, after they've done something in court, and they realize the repercussions, and they weren't, you know, they're more severe than they originally thought was going to happen. Well, then, I'll, okay. then that's kind of where, I, where I'll come in, where I typically will have been retained on a case and to come in. Um, or sometimes I've been, prosec- I've been appointed by a judge for somebody who's been in custody and there's a conflict of interest. I'll be appointed on a case. And it really, the, it, you want to look at the, the, the agreement itself, whether the, the uh, defendant understood that agreement um, and is fully aware and voluntary plea when it was entered. Um, but again, it, you have a 30-day a deadline to get that motion to vacate filed, but it's not an automatic thing. The judge has to listen to your arguments and determine, you know, after a hearing, uh, whether or not the the basis that you have for vacating that guilty plea is valid or not. And a lot of that comes down to you know, sometimes those plea agreements or something that happened in court that 
maybe clients' uh, rights weren't protected, that would be a basis as well. So what I'm looking for in a, in a case like that is what do I have to, as a legal basis, to vacate that guilty plea? And then where do we go from there? Um, again, do we have uh, a, a triable case? If that's the case, mm-hmm. it's more important to get this thing vacated. If it's just massaging the sentence a little bit, okay, then that could be you know, sometimes restructured or could be a resentencing uh, or a completely new sentencing hearing. So, again, facts dictate a lot of where we go on this, but as a defense attorney, I'm trying to troubleshoot that and keeping that hard deadline of 30 days in mind. Now, uh, as we continue our discussion with uh, LaBelle Law Attorney James Dore today, um, our Liberty and the Law podcast um, continue each month here to have, have detailed conversations about a lot of these, and, and these topics can all be found at LaBelleLaw.com. Um, there's an archive of, of all of our podcasts and really some great, fun conversations. Today, now that we've set the stage a little bit for uh, guilty pleas and even the opportunity to withdraw that, I'm going to point us to a recent case in Kane County, Illinois, um, where the judge wasn't particularly happy with someone withdrawing a guilty plea. Can you, you kind of recap that for us? Yeah, that uh, Judge, uh, judge uh, Tegler in Kane County, he's a good judge, good man. Um, and from the article I read, it, it, it seems that a guilty plea was entered on a case where there was an, an agreement between the public defender and the prosecutor's office. And I think there was a fill-in judge on the day of sentencing. Uh, Doug mm-hmm. Tegler was, was out. I think there was some kind of medical reason. Um, so there was another judge filling in. After the sentencing, after there was a, uh, a sentence imposed in the Department of Corrections and, and the client was waiting in the, uh, I think, in the King County Jail to be transported to IDOC, um, he had succumbed to some uh, severe COVID illness and was actually in, in a coma. So I think before they were trying to work out something, the prosecutor's office got wind of this. They contacted the public defender, and they were trying, what I think was they were trying their best to get um, this man's medical needs met, which they couldn't do in jail, and they were trying to mm-hmm. get it under this 30-day deadline for a motion to vacate. So, again, if they got it, they got the motion in, and there was, an, again, another judge sitting in uh, Judge Tegler's state uh, said that day. So when he, I think when he found out that all this had happened, and while this, you know, while a client's in, in in a coma, so he can't necessarily agree to what's going on. There was something put in for his benefit by the public defender and the prosecutor, and when the judge found out after the fact that this had been done, he got upset. And I think a lot of it came down to the, not necessarily why it was done, but the how it was done. Yeah, and I think that's um, you know kind of an interesting aspect of this. First of all, you take that 30-day deadline, and you respect the fact that the attorneys were trying to manage that when when the defendant himself isn't able to uh, to speak or appear if they're in a coma. Um, so, in a case like this, as a judge um, who, who might be getting upset, um, more concerned about the process that was followed as opposed to the actual result that came out of it. Well, the judge always has to follow the process. We're a rule, you know, we believe in a rule of law here. And if, if judges don't follow the process, then you have, you know, rule by individuals or fiat. So that's, the procedure is always important, right? But the judge also has discretion. So in this case where there's, you know, the greater needs of justice, um, justice would be served by this man getting the medical treatment he needs. 
and I think where you have a prosecutor and a, and a defense attorney who can agree on that, um, then it's a little easier for the judge to, to see the ends of justice met and overlook some of the procedural difficulties. And again, some of that, you know, they're running into holidays or the court holiday for New Year's. You know, they, these, these, these attorneys are trying to get something done to help this mm-hmm. man with coma, and I think so. I'm not saying there's any fault done on their part. I'm just saying, you know, the procedure is important. And if a judge gets upset because of a procedure wasn't followed, that, that, that makes entire sense because that's you know, something a judge is, is tasked with following his procedure. And, and as judges do that, um, uh, and again, you, you talked about, um, you know, perhaps being involved in some cases like this yourself, being appointed by a judge. Um, is a claim to have a, or a request to have a uh, plea withdrawn, is that likely to see success, or is it, are these kind of long-shot cases? They're tough. They're long shots more than than, than you can anticipate uh, success on it. Now, I'm a firm believer in you got to try, otherwise you don't have any chance at all. So if I have a case and a, and a, and a client who needs something like this, I'm going to give it every endeavor. I've been successful with these, and, and many lawyers have. Um, again, procedure you have to follow the procedure in trying to vacate a guilty plea. But if, if the facts are there to justify it, there's no reason not to give it a try. And uh, we're, we're going to be up against time here, but uh, before I let you go, you, you talked about this 30-day period in which uh, the, the claim must be made. Does that presume then that if someone uh, pleads and they're in jail for some period of time that uh, later they can't come back uh, and, and, and kind of make this request based on something else that, that has impact well, they, or is it 30 days and that's part, it? Part of the rules are when somebody's in custody, they will, if they're indigent, uh, an attorney, a public defender will be appointed to make sure that this is followed. So the public defenders know exactly what motion to file, and they know the deadlines. So mm-hmm. it, that is built into the system. Again, there's parameters and safeguards, so um, the people in custody can have access to the justice system within those 30 days especially. Excellent. Well. Um, the good news is we have access to, as I mentioned, all these podcasts in which James Doris shared so much information talking about specific cases, um, elements of the Constitution, uh, different parts of the law, criminal defense, and otherwise. And we always enjoy our conversation. So uh, we'll point you over to LavelleLaw.com. You can get information there about our podcast, articles James has written, and, of course, contact information to reach him for any questions you might have. And... Um, we are already talking about uh, some topics for upcoming podcasts. We hope we will stay with us and be a part of Liberty and the Law. Thanks, James. Thanks to you for listening.